I needed a weapon to use against the warfare, and I use the word warfare, warfare on purpose, the warfare that was taking place in my heart and mind. I needed a life raft, a weapon, something offensive, not just defensive only, but offensive to, to help protect me. And so I started memorizing scripture. house of the Lord today. Um, to those that watch online, we love our, our online family too. I'm glad that you are with us even digitally. I'm excited to get into this new series. A couple of things before we jump into this. The first one, hiding God's word in our heart. The first thing I want you to be aware of, and I'm going to drive some people absolutely nuts for the next few weeks doing this. The scripture that you are memorizing on these cards that you pick up. So when you go and you get this little pack of cards, the scripture you're memorizing, this is going to be out of the NIV. We're going to be studying out of the ESV. Yes. So here you go. We're going to memorize one and we're going to study out of another. And you're probably thinking, Mike, why? Just why would you do that? Uh, let me give you a couple reasons. The first one is this. So I'm going to drive everybody nuts. And I probably need to repeat this um, in the next few weeks because there's going to be somebody that pops in two weeks from now. They're going to be like, what's going on? Here's why we're doing this. Uh, for those that know languages and translations, this is going to kind of make sense. For those that don't, um, just bear with me for a minute. Translating scripture is an interesting thing, right? And so when you do translations, I mean, even if you're just doing like Spanish to English, like in our congregation in the 11 o'clock hour or the one o'clock service, whatever, if you're translating, it's not always word for word easy to do. So I want you to pretend with me that I wrote down the words. Let's say that I, I pull out my little notebook, get the click in the center. Give the little click. There you go. I pull out my notebook and I route down the words, dear son. My son's sitting in the front row. Dear son, uh, thanks for your letter. I love you a ton. It's raining cats and dogs outside. Can't wait to see you soon. And I put that in an envelope and I send it to him. And then a thousand years from now, somebody finds that letter, opens it up, and they're like, oh, there's Mike. Mike wrote a letter. Like people would care what I wrote a thousand years from now, but bear with me. They find that letter, they open it up, and it says, it was raining cats and dogs outside. And a true literal translation of that text would say, it's raining cats and dogs outside. Now the problem is, a thousand years from now, you don't know the metaphors, you don't know the language, you don't understand why we use the phrases that we do. And so a true literalist would walk away going, a thousand years in the past, you know. <laughs> Literal translations are really good. But education matters a lot when you're using a literal translation of the Bible. Because there are phrases and similes and metaphors and whatever that are used in the language. And when you do a literal translation of them, if you don't understand what you're reading, you're going to walk away with things in your mind that are not accurate for what the author was trying to say. 
So then you have other kinds of translations. And by the way, there's a whole lot more uh, than just, you know, kind of pure word for word or pure literal. There's a whole like gamut of authors that lean one way or lean another. But then those that lean towards the idea for idea, they would look at the text, right? And they would go, okay, it's raining cats and dogs. So as a scholar, I know what that means is that it's raining really hard outside. So they would translate it. It's raining really hard outside. Now, technically that's not what it says, but it is a hundred percent what it was meant to mean. Do you see it? So here's what we do. We have a tendency to also, so not just, not just like, so some people are like really literalists and we want to, we want to know, want to understand. That's great. I get it. I've been in school a long time. I'm for that too. I like literal translations. The ESV leans a little more that way. That's what's under or in your chairs. The NIV leans more towards idea for idea. There are inerrant difficulties and potential benefits and downsides to going each direction, depending on the reader, depending on the context. Here's the other piece of this. We as humans have a tendency to fall in love with the tools and actually elevate the tools to God level. Right? So what I want to do as we get into the word and memorize scripture for the next few weeks is I want to help you lean into the inerrant benefits of a more idea for idea translation as you memorize and the inerrant benefits of a more literal translation as you study. Use both tools. It's okay to do. It's okay to do. It's okay to use both tools. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's okay to use both tools. The Lord even agrees with me from some instrument somewhere it is coming through, right? It's okay to use both tools. It is okay to use both tools. All right. The other thing that I want to share with you too is, as you know, uh, I take uh, about a month every summer and I let my staff preach through the month and I get away and I work on putting together what the church is going to do for the next year. So... One month out of every year, I pull out of the day-to-day of the ministry and I work on the ministry. So what are we going to be doing? What are we going to be teaching? What are we going to be learning? Um, I start preparing sermons a year in advance. Many of you know this. One of the main tools that I use is this right here. The Next Steps card. So in the back of the chair in front of you, there's these packs. They're called the Next Steps cards. If you're newer to the church, you maybe haven't used it yet. If you've been here for a while, you have. What I want you to do is I want you to grab one of these, pull it out, tear it off, and, and, and hang on to one through the service. So grab it right now. I'll wait for you. We might give you a little background music too. I don't know. Pull it out. You can hand it to the person next to you, the Next Steps card. Oh, there it is. See? That's the... Uh, That's the grab your next steps card music. Next steps card music. All right, now here's what we're going to do with this. Um, What I want you to do through this sermon and through this series, so for the next 10 weeks, right here on the next steps card, I want you to just, man, as the Lord is speaking in your heart, prayer requests, things that are heavy in you, things that are going on in your family, things that are going on in your life, man, anything at all. If God is working in your heart and you're like, man, I really need to make this decision for Jesus or pursue him in a different way or grow, or you have a loved one that's struggling with something, I want you to just 
take time in the service, even while we're preaching, and as God is speaking to you in your heart, put it down. I mean, every week I come up here and I share my heart with you. I want to be able to know what's going on in your life back. And then what I will do with these is I will take them. My staff, of course, prays through them always when we receive them. Uh, But not only pray for them, I want to take them. And when I get ready to go before the Lord and prepare sermons for the next year, the direction of the church for the next year, where are we going to be planting? What are we going to be working on? Who are we bringing in? When I do this... I want to also have your heart in front of me too. I want to have your heart in front of me. I mean, so like if you're really worried about whatever it might be, you know, a loved one, family, nation, country, you name it, whatever is heavy in your heart as, the, as we're preaching, as God leads you, as the Holy Spirit speaks inside you, I want you to just take some time and write it down. And so I have this very strategic process that I go through. I built it back when I was doing my master's a while ago. And so it's like I spend a ton of time with the Lord. I spend time with my staff. I spend time uh, even with the LBA when I, or the leadership of the church. I've talked with them, kind of where are they at? Where is the church at? Where is the country at? You know, where is our community at? And then I also love to pull aside the next steps cards and just get a good picture of where you are at. And then I get before the Lord and I lay all these things out and I just say, God, speak. And so I'd love it if you take the time through this next sermon, through the next series, um, every week, pull this out over the next number of weeks and just fill it out, man. As God is working in your heart, as he's speaking to you, take the time to do that. All right. Introduction done. Let's get into the message today. Uh, that, was, that was a lot of introduction. And we even had background music, the whole works. This is a whole nother level of cool today. Memorizing scripture. I was about 22 years old, 22, right in that pocket. And uh, I had gone, or I was in a season of just massive anxiety. I don't really know why. And the truth was, it was probably a combination of a lot of different things that, that lead to these kind of moments. And, I, and if I'm being like really transparent, maybe even overly so from the stage, like I, I had a season where I was doubting my education track because I kind of felt called to ministry, but I was wrestling with that. Maybe I shouldn't do it. I was doubting whether God was really good. I even had maybe little moments where I doubted if God was really there. I mean, if I'm being really transparent, I had moments where I was very afraid. I remember even at one point driving down the road and just full of anxiety. Like, I I doubt myself. I felt restless. I doubt my faith. I felt afraid. I doubted my education track. I mean, I remember even like the whole political, like, you you know, the moment when you're younger and your parents talk about it, that moment it kind of dawns on you, humans make messes. So the whole political system as a whole, it's like all of a sudden it hits you. I can't buy into any of it. So then it's like, what makes me okay? What makes me safe? Where am I supposed to turn? I don't trust 
the government, the politics, the systems. I'm not sure I trust my heart. I'm not sure I trust, like, I just hit a season where I was incredibly anxious. And to add to it, and this is probably unique to my story um, a little bit, maybe to you too. A few years prior to that, I had somebody come in and prophesy over me, this like really kind of cool God moment where this uh, lady came up. I was young and uh, she was like, I felt like I'd never met her before. She literally came walking in. Uh, I was, it was a youth center came walking into a youth center, an older lady, and she walked up to me and she said, hey, I was walking outside. God spoke in my heart and said I was supposed to come in here. And I walked in and the Lord said, you're the one. And so she walked up to me and she prophesied over me that I was supposed to do ministry and these things for God and I was supposed to be a pastor. And so as I was now a few years later doubting my call to ministry, doubting my abilities, doubting my calling, doubting, it just added even more shame to all the stuff that was said to me in the past, shame for the moment of that time in history. Like it, it just felt bad all the way around. I was miserable. The truth was I probably was like actually depressed. I just never got diagnosed with it. I needed, deeply needed, a mental, emotional, spiritual life raft. And maybe more than that, I needed a weapon to use against the warfare. And I use the word warfare, warfare on purpose. The warfare that was taking place in my heart and mind. I needed a life raft, a weapon, something offensive, not just defensive only, but offensive to, to help protect me. And so I started memorizing scripture. I started memorizing scripture, hiding it in my heart. Today we begin a series where we're going to be talking about scripture memory, but not only talking about it, we're going to be doing it. Ten scriptures, ten verses. They've been core to me. Many of you have probably memorized them too. And I believe they will give you a compass for your heart at those times and moments when you need it most. Two objectives with this. The first one, as we get into this series, the first one is this. The first objective of scripture memory is to allow, this is so important, to allow God's heart to shape yours. Not your heart shape God's word. Context matters. So how many times have you heard people memorize scripture like a sports team and they're like, oh, oh, getting all excited, pumped up. We did this. I did this too when I played football, right? So it's like, you know, oh, getting all excited. It's like, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And what we mean by that is we're going to go beat this, you know, team. And they're actually probably doing the same verse on the other side of the field. Cool. What does it actually mean? We don't proof text the Bible to apply it in whatever way we want. We want to understand the intent of the Bible and let it shape our hearts. Do you see what I'm saying? So when we memorize scripture, it is not merely about giving you a tool to use in whatever way you want, however you want. It is giving you a tool that God uses to shape your heart so that you're strong going into the warfare. Do you see it? 
It's a tool that God gives to shape your heart so you're strong going into the battle. It's a tool that God gives to shape your heart so you can be strong going into the battle. Context matters. We're going to spend a lot of time with each of these verses paying attention to context. The second objective is this. The second objective of scripture memory is to build a spiritual offensive and defensive arsenal when the enemy comes at you through temptation, through doubt, through anxiety, through depression, and through fear. That's what we want to do over the next number of weeks. So with this in mind, let's look at today's text. Now, today is a little bit of an introduction. So I have about half the sermon that's introducing the series and half the sermon that's introducing this text. In the weeks to come, we're going to spend the whole time on each text. I'm going to read Philippians 4, the last part of 5, all the way through 8. But the section of scripture they have for the screen is the memory part. So as I'm reading it, and it'll come up fast, as I'm reading it, they're going to bring it up on the screen. You're going to read it, and we're going to study it in the ESV, though you're memorizing it on your card and earlier in the service in the NIV. I know I'm driving everybody nuts, but I want you to learn to use the tools, not make them a god. The ESV is good, it has its innate benefits and downsides. The NIV is good, has its benefits and downsides. Literal translations, idea for idea. Versions that are written to children have their innate benefits. Scholarly academic ones where it's literally like an actual, like Young's literal translation, they have their benefits too. Actual Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, they have their innate benefits too. All right, so with this in mind, let's go to the text. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It was A.D. 62. The church was extremely young. Saul, who was an enemy of Jesus and the gospel, becomes radically transformed and becomes one of the primary church planters in the New Testament. His actually goes from Saul, and we call him Paul, Paul. Paul, after planting church, after church, after church, he starts hitting incredible persecution by the Roman Empire. And he has been arrested and thrown in jail. He's been beaten. Man, he's been hungry, starving. I mean, this guy has faced so much frustration, tension, you name it. But one of the things that always seems to hit Paul's heart deepest, it's when one of his church plants is struggling.
He's sitting in prison, AD 62. It's not looking good. He knows it's very possible he could be executed. And he gets a letter, and as he's sitting there, most likely in a cave in the ground, not in a hill, most likely in the ground with grates above him, only a little bit of light, visitors if the Romans would allow it. Sometimes he was in house arrest, it depended on the season or depended on the arrest. And he gets a letter and he opens it up and it's a letter and then an individual too and they're talking to him about a church plant in Philippi and it's not going well. The people are struggling. In fact, what we find is the church in Philippi was facing heavy political scorn and knew deeply the weight of life values, so Christian values, that ran countercultural to the relentless persecution, or ran countercultural and the relentless persecution because of it. So what we find is the people there are trying to honor God, but the general cultural idea of what is good and right and what we should be committed to and value is so countercultural cultural to Christian values, the Christians there are really feeling the pressure. Philippi was known for being very patriotic, very, very patriotic. And early Christians felt the temptation to give in to political pressure and adjust Christianity to fit Rome rather than encouraging Rome to become Christian. Romans wanted to sleep with whoever they wanted to, whenever they wanted. Romans loved having power over others. Romans saw the needy in culture, the poor, the outcast. I mean, for us, it's like the homeless, right? They saw the poor, the outcast, the needy. They saw them as a social weakness, The Romans were often very racist and violent with people they did not like. I was driving down the road and um, I saw, uh, this isn't the exact one because I didn't want to accidentally give away somebody's house or location, so I found another picture online. But I saw uh, a picture, uh, I saw this in real life, though this is a different picture. Uh, I was driving down the road and I saw that and I was like, oh, that's cool, I like it, they got a Christian flag. And as I was driving down the road and I was thinking about Paul and I was thinking about from prison, I was thinking about the tension in Philippi, it dawned on me that, look at this picture, look at this picture, just pay close attention to it. Now go to the next picture. So here in this picture, the Christian flag is higher and the American flag is a little bit lower. Now go back to the last picture. Now go to the next picture. Previous picture? Next picture. That right there has been the primary battle of Christians since the beginning. The greatest enemy to the early church I know this is crazy. 
the greatest enemy to the early church, it wasn't the anti-Christians, though that was an enemy and it was tough, the greatest actual enemy that caused the church to continually give in and, and fall back and become backslidden was the difference between, pull those pictures up again, go back to the last one, Christians who wanted to live this way because it's way easier than the Christians that wanted to live this way. Now bear with me for a moment. I'm a good, passionate, I like America, I believe in, like, I, there's, it's good, that's in me. So pull the picture up again, go back to the first one. That top flag, I don't know what it is for you, but it's something. Use it as a placeholder. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe for you, it's literally a sports team that you will always raise higher than the Christian flag in your heart. What do we worship first? What do we worship first? What do we worship first? The kingdoms and values of men or the kingdom of God. Almost all of your persecution, feeling of displacement, and desire to just give in will come from that tension in your heart right there. Who are you first? Who are you most? When culture becomes, and, and that, that represents all culture, not just the United States, right? It's it, all culture. I thought about doing a Roman one, but it wouldn't have hit the heart nearly as hard as this, right? Like, and when culture lands on it, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a meeting, and a statement is being made that runs counter-Christian culture, and in your heart, you're like, gosh, I just want to I I lean into this because I don't like the persecution. I don't like how my time is laid out. I don't like the frustration, the disconnect between you name it all the way down the line. Listen, the primary thing that causes you to trip up is not rejection of Christianity, it's deprioritizing it in your heart. If Satan can't steal your heart, he'll steal your time. If Satan can't steal your heart, he'll steal your time. If Satan can't steal your heart, he'll steal your... And you'll end up with some other flag at the top of your heart's flagpole. Oh, well, culture goes, that's right, now you got it. So what do we find? Paul answers this tension, right? True Christians have always known. Now, I ought to say this in here real quick too. True Christians have always known the love-hate whiplash of politics. Like one moment they're for you and it's great and you feel like you connect well. And then the next moment, like it's just a few years later and it feels like they're all against you and you're the enemy. Listen, if you really do have the Christ flag highest in your heart, you are going to feel the whiplash of culture. And it's always been that way. One moment they're for you and the next moment feels like they're against you. Well, if you don't feel like they're against you, then that means something else 
might be, might be, might be higher on your heart's flagpole. Might be. So Paul answers this from prison, from prison while facing very possible execution. He doesn't stop caring. He teaches what to do with the anxious energy of the church in Philippi, right? So what does the church in Philippi do when they don't fit culture anymore? What does the church in Philippi do if they're beginning to doubt whether God sees them? What does the church in Philippi do? If they're really beginning to question whether they're actually making a difference at all, what does the church in Philippi do? If they're really feeling tempted to give in on Christian virtues and values, what does the church in Philippi, in America, in Indianapolis, in Fishers do? when they're worried about their health, their future, and the people they love, and the disconnect with safety and security that they see coming down the road, what do they do? I'm going to invite Josh up. This is really important. If you forget everything else from today's message, don't miss this. The opposite of anxiety isn't indifference. We often think it is. We often think that the opposite of anxiety is indifference. Like, don't care about it, my heart's at peace. The opposite of anxiety, it isn't indifference. It's redirecting that energy. See, God knows you can't just turn it off. He knows you can't just turn it off. Paul knows you can't just turn it off. So he teaches you to aim your restless energy, to aim our restless energy. See, here's an even clearer way to say it. Worry is an unhealthy form of meditation. control your feelings. Most people can't just turn off anxiety or, 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 or worry. You need a spiritual lightning rod that can take all of it. So there I am. I'm 22, 23 years old. Dude, I'm feeling the anxiety. I had this idea in my heart of what I thought I was supposed to be because of this prophecy thing that was done over me, really doubting all of it. Doubting my call to ministry, doubting my, whether God really loves me or whether it makes sense, even little moments where it's like, is it even real? Like I was just struggling. I can't overstate it. I was struggling. I remember even thinking, 
Lord, if you want to take me home early, I wouldn't hate it. Have you ever had that thought? And I sit down with a counselor, a really good Christian counselor. And she gives me a list of scriptures and she says, hey, let me help you learn to meditate on other things than your worry. What a way to think about it. So I started putting in my heart these texts, right? Like I memorized it in the ESV or in the NIV. We're studying it in the ESV. But I remember driving down the road and I remember just the anxiety and the, and the frustration and the, and the doubt and the wrestling and the struggling. And I just remember saying over and over and over and over and over again, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and petition, present your request. I'm saying it in the NIV because that's what I memorized it in. Present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. God, help me to think about such things. I would love to tell you that as soon as I started memorizing it, it was done and easy. It wasn't. I even remember being like three months, six months into it thinking, is this ever going to work? And I discovered that the work of the word in our hearts can be instantaneous, but oftentimes it's like lifting weights or getting in shape. You do it and you keep at 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 it and you get stronger. And pretty soon, pretty soon you learn to teach your mind to meditate on the word of God rather than the worry. And you get stronger and you grow in heart and you grow in mind and the word and ways and hope and love of Jesus shape who you are and when you see culture amiss when you see things that are off when you feel the frustration and the tension when it comes your way it becomes almost like a trigger like for those that love to lift weights or love to work out or love to go on a run you wake up you're like man I'm stressed I just got to go for a run there will come a day when you go man I'm stressed I just need to spend time with God it will come It will come. And so today we begin a journey. We begin a journey where we hide God's word in our heart. And I believe it's going to grow and strengthen you in wonderful, glorious ways. You're going to gain tools. You're going to gain strength and ability you didn't even know you had because it's his shaping you in you so here's what I want you to do now I want you to take your next steps card this is about today but the big vision is you are helping dream for the future with me 
And I want you to spend time before God just writing on this. What prayer request do you have in your heart? What is God speaking to you? What is God doing in you? I want you to write it down. If you need to rededicate your life, write it down. If you need to make a decision to follow Jesus, write it down. If you're just going, man, God moved in my heart. And I just want you to pray for me. Just write that down and write your name. But take some time, fill this out, and let us journey with you and pray for you and over you. As God leads you, go. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.